It's good to have you back here on Right at the Fork. And another week and another interesting guest. Today will be Neil Coral, who um, not only is the chef in residence at Ristretto Roasters, which has four coffee shops roasting spots around our beautiful city of Portland. He has also worked at Little Bird and um, is also starting a new business, uh, which is geared around Oaxacan cuisine and mezcal tastings. And um, once he described it to us, uh, I have to say right off the top of that, both Heather and I, and I'm sure you, Court, too, thought it would be a good idea to have in one's home uh, one of Neil's Oaxacan tastings, so um, or Oaxacan dinners. Um, really excited to have him here, and he talks about in the podcast where to find him. You can find us at rightatthefork.com, foodcast, food podcast PDX on Twitter, and right at the fork. And also, you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, all your favorite spots as well. So, thanks very much for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, certainly give us feedback as well. If you hear something you like or you have a suggestion, anything, contact us through rightatthefork.com. There's a contact page there. You look great. Great. You got the... I got a good face for radio. Yeah. You got the whole Portland thing going on, too. Well, I can take my scarf off now. I was just keeping my uh, vocal cords warm. You got the plaid. Because... uh, You got the plaid. You got the cool red... Boots? What do we call those? Those are Doc Martens, but we, we shouldn't well, talk about this. Well, I know that, this. but there's a style. No, I, we got to talk style. you got okay, everything okay. going on over there. All right. And you have to have style to be a Ristretto Roasters guy. Yeah, but I'm behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. but still, you represent, you're represent. I do represent the company in many ways. And it's a good company to represent. Yeah, I agree. I've had the good fortune of having coffee with Nancy and Din, and they're wonderful people. They are. Din and I grew up together. Did you really? Yeah, we were lifelong friends. Oh, great. Yeah. So you grew up in Portland. Did. Obviously. And um, tell us about what you're doing at Ristretto. Well, my official title is chef in residence, and I'm also the marketing and PR manager, so kind of wearing two hats. Um, but the things I'm you know, most excited about are the chef in residency, where I've created their house syrups, like their chocolate. Their cho- uh, Now we're just launching a chai a house-made chai, and I do their vanilla syrup as well. <clears throat> we uh, we do a chef series uh, called Sip and Savor once a month on the second Wednesday, and that's where we kind of work on community partnerships with uh, producers, wineries, brewers, chefs, um, vendors, and showcasing how you might cook with coffee, but also just kind of trying to create a more of a cafe and experience for people that's not just about coffee. You know, it's interesting because traditionally food was always paired with wine, and so you had wine-paired dinners, and then we got to beer-paired dinners, right. and then and now then salt-paired dinners, <laughs> and ice cream-paired dinners. Right. And so now uh, coffee, which to me is near and dear to me because I love, I'm a coffee lover. I don't consider myself really an expert. Sure, I just, neither do know, I. It's something I haven't, I have an intimate experience with every morning. Right. Um, and enjoy that. It's very important to me. So yeah. so uh, talk a little bit about how food interplays with coffee. I'm, I'm sure we're not just talking about 
coffee cake and scones. No, not at all. I mean, we are going to start something called Sweet Stuff where we do deal more with desserts and, and that type of thing. Uh, we work closely with Bake Shop, with Kim at Bake Shop. She kind of got her start through selling her baked goods at Ristretto Cafes. We also work with Sarah at Alma. Um, but, um, no, this is more savory, and a lot of people do think of coffee. If they think about it with food, they think of it either as a breakfast thing or something that they have for dessert. But uh, cooking with coffee, that's something we're kind of doing in the background is developing a cooking with coffee uh, cookbook, a uh, small, small-scale one. Um, uh, so we... We cook with coffee, like we did at Coffee Braised Short Ribs. Coffee, you know, can break down meat in a different way. It adds elements of, of acidity and bitterness um, in a good way. Cafe Mingo has one of my favorite coffee dish, coffee influence dishes, which is a, a ragu. Oh, nice. That's fantastic. I haven't tried it. I'll have to try that. Put it on my list. Um, we're doing a coffee carnitas, with tamale pies. Um, Next and the first, our first sip and savor in March, and um, we're actually doing that with Mindy from Chico. Um, we're doing what else are we doing? Um, we do some coffee cocktails with um, champagne or cava, and we'll pair those with oysters. Oh, nice! So yeah. is that is that just once? Uh, you do that once a week, or is we do it once a month right now, once a month. and it kind of rotates. You know the the different. Uh, Different events. And so where do people get that information? As a marketing guy, you need to to make sure to tell us that. Sure. Well, we we definitely, we focus on social media and then also, you know, being, you know, having four busy cafes in Portland, we can get a lot of word of mouth going just through flyers and baristas talking about things. So that's Ristretto Roasters on Facebook, obviously. It's Mm -hmm. at Ristretto Roasters. Ristretto Roast on Twitter because of the 14 thing. And then... Uh, Ristretto Roasters uh, is on Instagram as well. Okay. So you you started that job while you were also working at Little Bird, correct? I did. Um, Din and I had talked, before I went to culinary school a couple of years ago, Din and I had talked, I had some ideas about some coffee-related products, like a coffee soda. Like, are you from the East Coast? Do you remember the uh, Manhattan Specials? Tell. Yeah. Remember Manhattan Special? Mm-hmm. The espresso soda you get and you drink it with like a nice Italian, you know, sandwich. Yeah, well, uh, here and there, been yeah. exposed to Italian sodas. Yes, right. So, I, well, I mean, particularly the Manhattan Special espresso soda, and that's not something you see really anywhere on the West Coast. You can get them at Galco's in L.A., but that's about it. So I was gonna. We talked about doing something like that, and he was interested, but wasn't quite sure. And then, um, yeah, we started talking again, and then the wholesale guy was like. Can you can you even prove our chocolate? It kind of sucks. And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll give it a stab. And then we we made a really great chocolate, and um, we use that now. And then they just kind of were like, well, we want to take advantage of some of your other skill set, and that's just kind of grown from there. So where's the basis of your skill set come from? So you're, you know, you've done no because you're doing a lot. Yeah, you're, you're at Ristretto as a chef in residence. You were cooking. You are doing tours, which you know plays on your marketing side as well. But yeah. so, where does the basis of your food love come from? Does it go back to your childhood? Is was it was obviously born in Portland, but probably based on your age before this food scene really blossomed. So you had it in your heart. I think so. I mean, honestly, my my grandfather's a Greek immigrant, and he um, had diners. And then my mom and her sisters they opened restaurants. So I worked in family restaurants. Um, my family didn't want me to be in the restaurant business, and they always discouraged that, to be honest. But <laughs> it's hard work, and 
they did well, but you know, they wanted something kind of bigger for me. Um, I don't think they envisioned, like you said, the Portland restaurant scene that no. you know, we have now back then. But did they have any notable? Was there a notable like donor, diner Greek spot that people might know about? My grandfather had the Beaumont Cafe, which is on 43rd and Fremont. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to people that say went to Grant High School in the 50s or 60s, there was Yaws, which was the main spot. But the Beaumont Cafe, people that grew up in the, in that neighborhood, they do remember it. And uh, I remember it. It was great growing up there and all the characters that would come in. And- so how many pages were the, was, were the menus? Because uh, that's my memory of Greek diners is you just could never make a decision. Because yeah, it wasn't everything. like New York style in that way. My grandfather was much more practical. But uh, I don't really remember. I was a little kid in terms of the, his menu. I liked the grilled cheese. He had good hand-cut fries. Oh, nice. And then he used those paper straws. And he was really cheap. So he made the, uh, the balance of the soda and the syrup you know, more towards the, the soda water. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got this kind of watery root beer through the paper straw. It's one of my best food memories, actually. So, and you're reliving it now. Yeah, you're Making exactly. sodas. I do make some that, sodas. That's fantastic. So um, talk a little bit about what was, what was your experience? How long were you at Little Bird? And what was your, well, that must have been quite an experience. I mean, it's a popular restaurant. It's always busy. Uh, you're working with some great people, Eric and... Gabriel and Andy and Lauren and, yeah. you know, a great crew. And Sue Lynn and Trevor, the sous chefs. At, um, also, um, yeah, fantastic, talented group of people, super smart, super passionate, but don't take themselves seriously. One of the things Eric always says to, like, stages when they come in is, you know, one thing we want you to understand is we take food very seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously at all. So it was a really fun kitchen to work in, um, but incredibly demanding, incredibly high standards which I loved and was attracted to, for sure. Coming out of culinary school, I didn't really want to be a restaurant chef or be a line cook for as a career, but I wanted to have that experience of working in a very rigorous kitchen, and I got it. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, very, like I said, very demanding. You work really hard there. The standards are super high. How did, how did you get the job? I externed there out of... OCI, Oregon Culinary Institute. Oh, okay. So that was a nice intro- entree. So they they set, uh, OCI sets up a different, they have relationships with different restaurants and set up based on your skill set? Or how does that they work? They do. Um, they'll definitely, they want to put their best students forward. And um, I was a good student there and, and they um, they set up a stage. And then I, I did the stage and, and Eric liked my work and offered me the position. Great. So how long were you there? Uh, just over a year. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, and so from there, not like many un- other people in Portland, you're juggling a few balls. So that must have been a tough, I would imagine, tough project to be working at Little Bird and then also uh, set something up with Din at Ristretto at the same time. Were you sleeping? Uh, people well, always ask coffee. me that. You had access to coffee. <laughs> I actually don't drink coffee every day. I don't like being addicted to things. But um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I like to work hard, and I was very excited. I mean, the great thing about working with Din and Ristretto is always giving me a lot of latitude in, in my, the flexibility of my schedule. I have certain deadlines to make sure the syrups are produced each week for the cafes, but even there, there's a little wiggle room. So he'd definitely work around that, and he knew that for that time, and we didn't have a specified you know period that I was going to stay at Little Bird, but my focus was Little Bird. You know, that was my, you know— there's no fooling around as a line cook, right? You don't take days off. You work when you're sick. You, you know, you work when your kids are, you know, have a softball game or whatever, you know? So 
Um, that was my number one priority, and I gave it my all for the time that I was there. And and Din was very supportive and understanding of that, and I think saw the bigger picture that that was a basis in my beginnings of a career as a cook. That that was the you know the foundation that I had that had to be respected and and take you know center stage. So how much how much time do you put in? You've got another project going on. How right. much time are you at at Ristretto or working on Ristretto every week? And we'll talk about your other project in sure. a second. Um, I'm with Ristretto somewhere between 15 and 40 hours a week. Right now we're sort oh, that's of a, that's a gap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's flexible. I'm sure a lot of people would like that. Well, somewhere between 15 and 40 hours. Right, situation. But it's like working for yourself where you're never quite off. You right. know, and like I don't have a traditional weekend and. You know, sometimes I get up in the morning and I start working on Ristretto right then. And then sometimes I'll wait until 10 o'clock at night and I'll work on it, you know, until the wee hours. So kind of depends on where I'm at and my needs or, you know. Well, that's good. So tell us a little bit about the Mezcal tours you're doing. I'm curious about it because uh, I saw you're doing tours to act to Oaxaca. Oaxaca. I did it again. Yeah. I did it again. <laughs> I heard you out in your interview with Mindy. Yeah, well, I'm trying to get that right. Well, uh, you should it. go on a tour and then we'll... Uh, you know, I, I'll get it, it ingrained <laughs> in my brain, but uh, I caught myself. Just want to make, make that pretty clear. But, um, you know, there are a lot of events in Portland. I'm th- curious as yeah. to, you know, it's, it's challenging sometimes to get people to a mezcal tasting at, at Chico or sure. some kind of tasting somewhere. You want to get them... Uh, over on a, on a plane. <laughs> well, we're going to start a little smaller than that. Um, it's called the, the new venture is called Mezcal Cena, which means Mezcal Dinner. And um, it's really about, and, and also it's not like a pop-up, it's in people's homes. So say, for instance, you decide you're going ha- to host a Mezcal Cena and you invite some of your friends. Mm-hmm. And then I come and, and prepare a meal for you and your friends and, and bring three Mezcals and we taste them and we talk about uh, we'll hawk on whatever level you want to talk about it. We can start with pronunciation when we do your dinner, yeah. and then um, we can go in and into- hit it in the middle, and also <laughs> at the end. <laughs> and then you know we we talk about maybe the history of Mexico. We talk about Mexican food. Um, you know the dishes, the individual dishes that I'm preparing. You know their sort. You know how they're eaten in Mexico, so on and so forth. Sources, whether or not I can source those things here or not. Um, comparable flavors, substitutes that I might use from you know our our region. Um, and then talk about mezcal. You know, I just did a dinner on Sunday and there were three people there that never even tried mezcal and they, and they seem to be converts. So we did a dinner at, uh, Chico last summer, mm-hmm. which was, uh, Liz Davis mm-hmm. put us, paired us up with a lot of mezcal and I had never appreciated as much as I did coming out of that. So yeah. Um, the smokiness. A, Everyone's like, this. it's so smoky, it's delicious. Yeah. Well, and there are so many different, you can, it goes different places. Um, so that's that's exciting. So you, you just started this, you had a dinner, la- and that sounds like a fun party. For, it was a fun party. I'm just, not that one, but <laughs> the idea, well, that one sounds fun, but the idea of putting together a party at home that is not just a, you know, there are a lot of people who love to cook right. and like to entertain. Right. But throwing a different twist on it and yeah. also giving someone the relief from entertaining, right. hosting, and cooking at the same time. For sure. It would be and the really, cleanup. It, and the cleanup. You do all the cleanup? <laughs> we did the cleanup, too. Well, you could probably just market that <laughs> alone. <laughs> For sure. So, um, so how big are the dinners? Uh, I like to do like eight to ten people. And then the idea, too, is that, you know, there's a lot of culinary tours and mezcal tours that are available. You can look online in Oaxaca. 
Um, what I hope to do is is be somewhat of a curator and vet some of those tours and not necessarily go down there and, you know, totally ignore those people. But, you know, you can get to know me at a dinner through the and a tasting and you can say, oh, we were thinking about going to Mes- going to Oaxaca and we looked at this place online. I'm like, well, I know those people, you know, or you might want to try these people or, you know, I've got a tour coming up or, you know, it's just a way to sort of have put a face on it because it's kind of hard to book that stuff uh, online without really having a personal interaction with people. Well, it would be nice to have some, yeah, exactly, to have someone who's vetted it and can be the uh, be the expert. That's the goal. So how I'm did certainly you, not an expert now. When did you, so how did your interest in Mezcal develop and when did you decide to, that this was a direction you were going to go in the midst of doing some other things? Sure. Well, I lived in Mexico um, when I was in college. I won a scholarship to study at the Universidad de las Americas in Puebla. And um, I spent some time studying, and then I spent a lot of time just traveling all over Mexico. And I just fell in love, um, particularly with Oaxaca. I spent a lot of time on the beaches and some time in the city. And then have, living in Puebla, I didn't even re- really appreciate at the time what a food center it is. It's an amazing food center. Um, so <clears throat> there was that. And then when I decided to become a cook, um, I was interested in French cuisine and French technique. And then I started realizing, say last summer, that it wasn't that practical for me to go to France and study. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't going to have the experience of going and being a stage in the great restaurants. I was too old for that. I have a family. France is really far away. How old are your kids? My kids are 8, 11, and 14. Yeah, that's a little tough. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy's going to France for a while. <laughs> um, so I am going to Mexico for three weeks next Thursday. So, yeah, you but know. that's doable. Yeah, it's but, doable. But same months, continent. Months is a different deal. Totally. And so I was realizing, like, wow, I, I speak Spanish. I know Mexico. I've studied Mexican history and Spanish literature when I was in college. Um, maybe, and I like Mexican food. So maybe I should kind of switch my focus from French cooking to Mexican cooking. And so I started doing that. I'd make, when it was my turn to make staff meals at Little Bird, I'd always make Mexican food and people seemed to like it a lot. Um, And, you know, just started really kind of investing more and more in that, uh, in that cuisine. And then I was in LA recently and went to Huelowetza, which is a great restaurant on uh, Olympic Boulevard. How do you spell that? G U E L T Z G U E T Z A. You got a Bellport <laughs> ding ding ding. That was yeah. that was my payback yeah. for Oaxaca. Right, right. <laughs> um so uh so Weloetza, which is also a big festival in Oaxaca, um indigenous dancing and so forth. Uh great restaurant and um they had a lot of mezcals there. And started drinking some mezcal and you know, the I was asking the waiter some questions, and he's like, well, I don't know. And so then I started talking to the bar manager, and he's like, you know a lot about mezcal. And I was like, oh, do I? And just kind of like, was like, I guess I do. And then, then I started, probably don't have to know much to know more than most people, <laughs> exactly, I Exactly, right? So um, that's why I chose it. Um, so I want to be the, the one-eyed man in the line to the blind. Um, so the next morning I woke up and I just couldn't stop thinking about mezcal. In fact, driving away from the restaurant that night, I couldn't stop thinking about mezcal. And um, I just kind of kept working on me. And then I was thinking about, you know, I'd been talking to someone about opening a restaurant um, and wanted to do this sort of like Cuban lunch counter style that would, you'd see in Havana or Mexico City. Um, but 
honestly, like the line cook hours were really kicking my butt. And I didn't really think owning a restaurant was going to be any easier. In fact, I knew it was going to be harder. And I was really honest with myself. And I was like, you know, I don't think I want to be in the restaurant business. Especially with kids that age. Yeah. I mean, it's a... It's a big investment, and it better pay off if you're going to sacrifice <laughs> right? that much time with your family. For sure. And I was like, you know, am I willing to do – and I'd been in the restaurant business before when I was younger. But uh, anyway, I just was like, i got to do something different. And so um, Mindy from Chico and I had been talking about doing some pop-up stuff, but that was just feeling really saturated. It was feeling like more of a commitment to do it in the right way. And so, Why, I, why was it saturated to you, the, the pop-up? I think there's mark- just a lot of people doing them right now, and I think that people are doing them well, but – I just wanted to differentiate myself from it mm-hmm. um, and think about it in a different way. I also like the intimacy of being in people's homes. Um, there's a practical aspect in terms of being a private chef versus, versus being a caterer in terms of licensing and all that type of thing. Startup costs are considerably What kind lower. of licensing do you need to, for that? Well, if you're a private chef and you're preparing the meal in people's homes, then you, they just pay you and you, know, you have- And a, that's it. Right. There are no other requirements. <laughs> Pretty much. So that was kind of my workaround for, and I, don't, and I don't want to be a caterer. I don't want people to, you know, say, do you want to do my wedding or whatever? Like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll regret saying that now, but <laughs> later on, but, you know, I, I really kind of want to be clear about what I want to do. And the, the eventual goal is to become an expert in, on Mescal's and Oaxacan uh, food and Pueblan food as well, um, and lead tours and kind of, you know, still cook, but make sure that I'm cooking with love and not not going so much at it from a grind sort of uh, perspective like you do as a line cook. I mean, What's the difference between Oaxacan and Puebloan cuisine? Uh, Is it a, just a nuance that <laughs> well, most of us would never notice? Or? Mm, yeah, it's, it's somewhat nuanced. I mean, Pueblo was a very colonial town. And Pueblo is kind of halfway between Veracruz where Cortez basically landed in Mexico City. And so there's a lot of uh, colonial architecture and a lot of colonial influences. The, the Puebla is really known for its sweets and desserts because of the nuns. And there were a lot more churches in Puebla. I mean, there were churches all over Mexico, but in Puebla, it's you know, a huge colonial popula- population. And it still sort of has that. Uh, Pueblans are, Poblanos are known as fresas. You know, they're known as snobs. Or, um, so there, there's this sort of more. I have to remember that word. Yeah, like they're more like. Uh, um, Fresa also means strawberry, but um, they're more connected to sort of peninsular Spain than other places. Whereas Oaxaca is a very indigenous place. I think uh, the majority of in, the indigenous population in Mexico lives in the state of Oaxaca, so there's huge influences on the food. Also, it's 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 very much like Oregon or France in terms of the, the diversity of the uh, landscape and the growing regions. You know, there's valleys, there's mountains, there's you know, coastal plains, and there's also the, uh, you know, huge coastline. So, Well, it's interesting that you say that, and obviously this is just coming from me, but coming from the East Coast, the reason I've been pronouncing Oaxaca, Oaxaca, was because I never really, we didn't hear about it sure. at all. And it wasn't until I got out here to Oregon and had been to Chico right. that the region even came up. Right. So is it a, is it, does it have a, a scene like Portland has? Is it is it kind of like as Oaxaca to Mexico as I like to think Oregon is to the United States? Uh, all of a sudden, it's coming up more and more yeah. in discussion, and that's yeah. It's it's definitely been sort of an expatriate. I mean, Diana Kennedy, who's sort of the Julia Child of Mexican cooking, she's lived there since like the fifties or something like that. Um, there, you know, I think Rick Bayless has a place down there. 
um, you know, so sort of the premier Americans that are, you know, um, leaders of, of Mexican cooking scene, they, you know, they're very connected to Oaxaca and have been for a long time. There's a lot of expats, artists. It's always been known as sort of an artist community. There's weavers there. Um, when I was first in uh, in Oaxaca in the early mid-90s, mezcal really wasn't a big deal. Um, it was the round, but it just got its denomination of origin in 2004. And it's really been in the last 10, 15 years that it started to become more of an export item and, um, and gaining in popularity. So for the lay people out there, which probably include me, although I've had a little experience with it, describe the difference between drinking mezcal and tequila. Well, I think you're, first of all, you're, you're going to get a smokiness in, the, for, in most mezcals. Mezcal is produced in a more artisanal way. Um, there are more, tequila can be made from, it has to be 51% of blue agave. And so, but there are, I think, six types of agave that you can use for mezcal. So you're going to have a greater variety there. Some are going to be just one type of uh, agave, and then some are going to be a mix or a blend. Um, <clears throat> Tequilas are more, they're, they're, the pulpo from the Mawe plant is steamed in a commercial oven and then, and then uh, pulverized by commercial processes. Whereas um, mezcal, you're going to get it, it's always going to be pit roasted and it's going to be crushed by a, a millstone, by like a donkey or a burro or maybe even a person in most cases. When it's distilled, it's, gonna be, it's not going to be distilled in a big giant stainless steel tank. It's going to be distilled in a copper pot or a clay pot. Um, <clears throat> so you're going to get these nuances between mezcals that you're not going to get with tequilas. Yeah, sure. Grab some water. Or I, that's not mezcal, I don't think. <laughs> no, I don't chug mezcal. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, you can line up, say, five mezcals and five tequilas. The tequilas, they're going to sort of be different in terms of their smoothness, you know. Whereas the mezcals are going to be completely different. You're going to get, I mean, some of them are distilled with river water that's right next to the, the Poncaro. Um, you're going to get so many nuances. I mean, like I'll taste one mezcal and I'll get like a sort of sake rice wine in my lower palate. I'll taste another one and I'll get grass. It's, it's just such a wide variety of, of uh, flavors. So when you do your, uh, your dinners, mm -hmm. uh, do you give people the the option or choice of how many mezcals are going to taste. And it, I guess it's kind of, it makes it a little more comfortable that it's in someone's home. Yeah. They can try more and right. probably feel a little more comfortable doing so. And honestly, I mean, mezcals per the, by the ounce are very expensive. So usually you'll give someone a half serving. And by the time they taste three mezcals, they've really only had maybe like one stiff drink. Um, so it's really not about this sort of like idea of like spring break, I'm going to drink a bunch of mezcal. It's, it's really tasting it as a, you know, as a, as a grand spirit that it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I will, I've been trying to curate, you know, for whoever I'm doing the dinner for, um, what I've tried to do is serve one mezcal that they can buy locally, um, serve another mezcal that you can source outside of Oregon, maybe online, um, but, or when you travel. Um, and then I'll try to share a mezcal that's like a suitcase mezcal, something that you can't get in, in the United States. That's cool. So are you marrying coffee into this? Because I can't think of anything better than to top off that meal with some awesome ristretto 
coffee. And are you doing some things in at Ristretto that that marry both things. Well, we've been talking about it. Din, uh, once he heard about this new idea, like probably the next time I saw him, he's like, okay, and now we're going to do uh, food, mezcal, and coffee tours because coffee tours are really hard work and sometimes they're just boring on their own. But now we're going to do all three. And I was like, he's like, right? And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah we can look into that for sure. You know, I love that. It's so Portland. Everybody's <laughs> got these grand visions. Right? And then you actually start looking into insurance. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole different thing. So um, I'm actually going to visit a coffee farm when I go to Oaxaca next month. And um, and then there's some great coffee farms in Chiapas. And Ristretto sometimes has a, we sometimes have a single origin from Chiapas on our uh, rotation. But um, I haven't been ending the meals with coffee as yet. We've been ending it with um, a mezcal cocktail um, in in lieu of dessert or coffee. Um, there are traditionalists that think that mezcal shouldn't be used in cocktails, but I'm of the school that thinks that part of the reason of mezcal's popularity is because of all the craft bartenders that are using mezcal in cocktails and exposing people to it and using that smoky flavor. Um, to kind of introduce people to mezcal. So I'm all for using it in, in cocktails. Um, that's how we've been ending it so far. We might do, you know, uh, we were, we're, like I said, we're going to start checking out some farms, coffee farms in Oaxaca and some single-origin coffees, and I might do a nice pour-over at the end. You know? well, that, I think that sounds great. Yeah. So um, before I forget, where do people find out about your services, your, your pop-ups? Uh, well, they're not pop-ups. They're not pop-ups. They're home. <laughs> uh, what do you call it? They're Mezcal Sanos. They're Mezcal Sanos. Yeah. MezcalSanos.com. Okay. Mezcal, and how do you spell it? M-E-Z-C-A-L-C-E-N-A. I figured it was Sanos. I was a spelling bee champion in the second grade, so this is kind of a flashback for me. My son was <laughs> in the second grade, so and I, but I wasn't. I was always a decent speller. Interesting as you get older is you, that you lose your spelling cape. Your do spelling, you? Absolutely. Okay. It's frustrating it's right. like the memory loss and then all of a sudden you realize that what used to come very naturally to me is is not necessarily there so i'm going to stop the aging process okay because i'd like to be able to spell um tell, i was just recently on a uh a coffee tour with third wave oh, and, they, cool. and they started it at and she was great we started at ristretto nice um the new one or actually is it the newest over there on um cooch that's our newest cafe. We also have a cafe, a uh, coffee bar in Tilt, uh, with the new Tilt that's on Thirteenth and Everett. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, they uh, we had some coffee out of the steampunk. Right. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I I was fascinated by that. And it yeah, looks- it's a siphon system, um, and that's about all I can tell you. There's a video. Uh, Oregon, the Oregonian did a video with Din and one of our baristas, Sean, um, last fall that can t- tell you a little bit more about it. It's, it works in about, you know, it works like a, again, I'm not a barista. I want to make this really clear. No, but you're, you're, <laughs> right. you're represent, you know, you yeah. do some marketing for them. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's a very refined cup of coffee that you can get out of that. Um, different, sim- similar to the extraction is similar to any siphon system, but it takes place in about half the time. Um, Mostly it's cool looking. It really looks cool. You have to go into watch just right. to watch it happen. For sure. I, I had a nice cup of coffee from it last week. Um, you know, it's, it's a really clean brew for sure. I think I, all the coffee I've had at Ristretto um, is, has always been delicious, and it's one of the main uh, Portland items I send to friends. Nice. When I, when I send them. Some. Which blend do you send? 
Oh, uh, well, I like the cowboy blend, uh-huh. and I'll just, you know, I'm not as familiar with it as you are. Right. So I'll go in and just, sure. uh, you know, I, I actually, it's it's a little bit like wine for me. Uh-huh. I'm not an expert, so I can ask some questions. Right. I recently went into, um, I went into Hart, and they had a new, they were selling some coffee from a brewer in um, Maryland. Okay. And he told me how great it was, right. and it was fruity. And I thought, well, that sounds good. And I, I got it home, and it wasn't, you know, as great as he thought it was. Right. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. So I'm getting rid of it by mixing it with some other <laughs> coffee that I have. Well, it's subjective, of course. Uh, I, I recommend the Beaumont blend just because it's sort of. I mean, the interesting thing was the first ristretto was on the same block as my grandfather's restaurant, so I, you know, it was really close to that block. It was sad that when that closed. Yeah, we deal with a lot of sadness from that community, and. Um, you know, there was a decision that that just kind of dealt with leases and a new right. location, and we we miss it. We miss Beaumont for sure, and that was where the that was where the roaster was originally as well. And so the the blend we have the two blends, the Cowboy blend, which is named after a grower in uh, Brazil called Cowboy, and then uh, Beaumont, which is named after that neighborhood and the roots of the company. And the Beaumont blend is really fantastic right now. I will have to uh, go in and grab a. Beaumont blend. I don't think I've had it for a while. Just as a as a reminder. Awesome. So um, Oaxacan cuisine. I know Kelly and Mindy do a wonderful job with it at Chico. Any other places in Portland that you find or do any food carts? Anybody doing some cool Oaxacan things? Um. Well, uh, dead air. Doesn't on that sound one. like it. No, well, there I you mean, go. There's your answer. It's Chico. <laughs> it's it's. Chico, Neil, or nothing? No, there's, there, you know, I mean, Western Cocina does some cool stuff. Um, you can, you know. Oh, you, that's right. You know, you can, it depends on. What about Oswaldo at Authentica? Is he, is that? Um, yeah, there's, they have a great selection of tequilas and the food is, you know, it's a lot of fun there too. And I like hanging out on their back patio. Um, I like a lot of the carts. I like to check out all the Mexi Marts and some of them have little restaurants in the back. Um Samitas are Pueblan or Poblano, and there's a great truck on uh, Canyon Road and Cedar Hills Boulevard where you can get an amazing sandwich. I didn't know there were any trucks out that way. Yeah. Heather, there yeah. you go. That's I recommend them, uh, Poblano. I think they're called Poblanos or Samitas. Um, I recommend the Samitas there. Uh, Santa Cruz Taqueria, I love that place. I go there all the time. Um, so outside of then Mexican food, what are you digging in Portland? Right well, now? one more Mexican place that's okay, actually pretty so. good is La Bamba on Powell and about 50th. They have a really, they have some really good, uh, like pipion, which is a pumpkin seed sauce, which is a Oaxacan, uh, Oaxacan recipe. Oh, that sounds good. Um, other than Mexico, I went to La Toc last night. I guess they're, uh, that's Mexican, right? Mm-hmm. Had some tacos and a sope. Um... I love Little Bird. I eat there all the time. Can't can't get away from that. Let's see where else have I been eating lately. I like to go to a lot of like like certain dive bars that have one good thing. Like the biscuits and gravy at Joe's Cellar are really good. There's a pork hash at um, a Slingshot on Foster that's really good. I love the burger at Cinema at uh, Cinema Twenty One at uh, Club Twenty One. Um, there are all those little fates. Have you ever had the? Speaking of Seventy Second, have you ever had the? Um, the biscuits and gravy over at Arlita Library Cafe. No, I haven't. I'll well, there check you go. that out. You've got to try that. Um, Let's Tavern has a pretty good burger. 
But I like all the, you know, the fine dining places in Portland. I've checked out most of them. That's always a tough thing as a cook, right? It's like, you know, you want to go eat this good food, but you're not really in the in the sort of income bracket where you get to I think check it's a it tough out. thing for everybody. Yeah. It's a, as I've always said, it's like Disneyland here. Yeah. And you you want to you want to be a regular at a lot of places yeah, and it's almost impossible. Yeah, it's just I would a, agree. It's it's really tough. So you have kids, do they are they enjoying the food scene? Do you get them out? They do, particularly my middle child, uh, Maisie. She's got a great palate, and she's just just super adventurous. And um, my son Henry is actually, I kind of have to credit him for becoming a cook, you know, because I was in a period of, like, career transition, and I decided to just kind of be a stay-at-home dad and really focus on that. And he was a really picky eater, and I was just getting into cooking and having fun. And he's like, after a few weeks of that, he's like, Dad, you should become a chef. And I was like, ha-ha, you know, and then... uh, I don't know, you know, it kind of kind of inspired me, kind of started working on me. I was like, yeah, maybe food is a good way to tell stories and relate to people and be creative and and then, you know, that's kind of how things got started. So, you're a good I would imagine you're a good storyteller. So, do you at your dinners, what what do you do uh as you're cooking? Are you talking about the food or are you talking about Oaxaca or what what do you I lay out a basic sort of uh overview of Oaxaca, Oaxacan food, mezcal, and then kind of let the questions come in and, and sort of meet people where they're at. You know what I mean? And let people, so you know, have a little party themselves. So I totally. Guess, so you're not the necessarily the focus you yourself, your food is, your mezcal is, but, right. the, but you want to just be a, a catalyst for what's going on. Yeah. I, I definitely want to be a facilitator and be a resource and, um, you know, interact, but, you know, cooking is hard work and getting, you know, bartending and pouring the mezcals and getting all that ready and keeping things tidy and neat. And, uh, that's plenty of work on its own, but I like to take little breaks and talk to people, lead them through the, lead them, you know, introduce the dish almost like a server in a way. And then, uh, then, you know, lead, lead the tasting for sure. And, and, and really kind of focus on that and make sure people are experiencing it, uh, you know, with, with eyes, ears, and nose and, and mouth and, you know, and and really, you know, taking it all in. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming. You got your, you have your fingers in a lot of things, a lot of delicious things. Yeah. And uh, really cool to hear uh, all the different things you're doing. And I would imagine if we were to sit down in a couple of years and talk, you'd got, you'd have some new things going on as well. Probably. Good. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you. Appreciate it, Neil. Well, that was interesting. I have to say, I uh, didn't know Neil at all. I hadn't, I hadn't spoken a word with him before the podcast other than a handshake. He was a great guy. Yeah, really interesting and uh, very entrepreneurial, it sounds like. Taking bits and pieces of what has been a part of his life and his journey and mashing it together and going, I could, I could make a living out of that. And uh, he's just at the very beginning of that. So I'm excited to see where it goes. But I, I definitely want to try one of his dinners. That sounds amazing. It's fantastic. And he embodies Portland when you think that he was, while he was cooking at Little Bird, which is one of our beautiful, wonderful repre- restaurants that would represent our city well to anybody coming in to Portland, Oregon, and uh, wanted to try a representative restaurant, Little Bird, while he's there, He's talking to one of our uh, one of our roasters, uh, Din Johnson um, at Ristretto, about expanding that business. I mean, what people don't understand who aren't from Portland is our coffee shops are not just coffee shops. No, they're full on experiences, and there aren't there isn't just one down the street. 
There are zillions of them, right. and and they render a company like Starbucks. You know, you see Starbucks, and you wonder why. Yes, I'll go there if it's really convenient, but your mind is on a place like Ristretto all the time when because you're they have coffee. soul there. Yeah. You know, they have soul, and they're they're thinking beyond the bean. They're thinking about the whole experience, and I. The fact that they have a chef in residence to begin with is exactly. just really, really cool. But I want to say about those dinners, though, because my mind is churning on on that. What a great way to bring a little bit of the downtown Portland experience into your home. Because, you know, me being in the suburbs, I know a lot of people who can't think beyond a five-mile radius for, you know, dinner options. And... You know, cooking for a large group just seems to be a little bit scary at times. So, I mean, it's just a a fantastic way of bringing in that level of talent that you would experience in a Little Bird or any of the great restaurants that we have here, bringing it into your own home and having it be just a complete package, sorry, a complete package evening. And with a twist, it's not... It's not just a great caterer coming in or inviting just a chef. Right. You've got, uh, you know, you've got a Oaxacan theme and you've got mezcal tastings, which I have to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say 98% of people have never done before. No. No. And so, yeah, you learn a little bit of something new and you um, you have somebody who can who knows how to cook the food and create the cocktail I mean, man, if he if he brings his own babysitter, I am sold. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, and there's there's something to be said about a city like Portland, Oregon, which has people like Neil in it, and we're privileged to be able to find them, yeah. and they and we can find them fairly easily here. It's you don't have to dig very far. And uh, thank you, Mindy Keith. She's the one who pointed us to Neil, right? One and of our so, previous and, guests. And so we and someone pointed us to Mindy as well. She's a you know in the kitchen at Chico. We wouldn't have known about Mindy either. And we're really glad we do. That's one of my favorite podcasts. Right. So keep those suggestions coming. Um, Neil is on Twitter at Neil Coral and Ristretto Roasters is on, is at uh, Ristretto Roast. Uh, and, oh, for the new business, um, Mezcal Sena is just like it sounds. M-E-Z-C-A-L-C-N-A uh, is where you can find him on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and on the web. Just plug that in. Right. And thanks for finding us, too. Thank you. Thank you.